is a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. How about this, Cowboys? Yeah! This, this is Mick Shots, streaming live on DallasCowboys.com and the official Dallas Cowboys app. Now, here are Bill Jones, Everson Walls, and Mickey Spagnola. And it's time for another edition of Mick Shots on day 64 now. It all started back on March 11th, and here we are on May 14th. And uh, much of this NFL season has passed us by. Mickey Spagnola and Everson Walls, this is day 64 of the United States portion of the pandemic. And we are just over 64 days away. In fact, I counted up to, I think it's 68 days away from when the Cowboys will be departing for training camp. <laughs> you say that, Bill, with a lot of confidence that we'll be departing. Yeah, we, we might have to talk to that California governor in the meantime, but that's when the Cowboys should be departing for training camp. I think it's on like a Tuesday, July 21st, since they're going to be playing in the Hall of Fame game. Are we, I, I, or we could be departing for Frisco. That's exactly right. We could be departing down the <laughs> Nike Starwalk at the Star in Frisco to go. Well, they won't be practicing at that point, but it, hopefully yeah. we might be able to actually interview some Cowboys players one-on-one uh, -on -one in person by uh, July 21st. But we get ahead of ourselves. There's still lots to talk about on this edition of Mixed Shots. So, Bill, what have you been doing? Well, I've been working away here in my home office here at CBS 11 Sports Studios here and Dallas Cowboys television studios here. I need to paint my room blue. It's a red room. I need to paint it blue. Get started on that shortly. Well, Mike. you, Everson? I have been watching Dr. Fauci. That's what I've been doing. I want to make sure... I don't know. I don't know if I weigh between Bill's optimism or Dr. Fauci's facts of science. So I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to weigh that out. You know, you, you, you got a heavy, you got a lot of weight on your end, Bill. But, you know, Fauci, Fauci is, you know, he's kind of smart. So I'm, I'm trying to weigh it out and see which way I'm going to go for this fall. We'll see. Well, I, I don't want to be the guy. I'm going to blame it on Fauci. How about that? Yeah. Well, I, th I think Fauci doesn't want to be the guy. <laughs> and, uh, and so I try not listening to Dr. Fauci as much as I can. <laughs> you, you, don't, you just don't want to deal with reality, right? Yes, that's, exactly that's right. what yep. it is. Hey, we got us a schedule a week ago, and by golly, we're going to play that schedule. You know it? Yes, absolutely. And I, You know what, I, you guys, when I, I find myself writing about it or talking about it, I always seem to be prefacing with, well, we hope. Uh, <laughs> and it's like we're talking about it like it's all going to happen and, you know, the season opener is going to be on that day. And it's like, well, maybe, you know, September 13th, uh, we hope uh, we're going to be in L.A. for a game. Uh, we hope there'll be 60,000 people in, 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 the, in, in the new stadium, but... That part we don't know, and we're still, what, three, four months away. So there's time, but, you know, when you hear baseball talking about starting up with no fans or 25% uh, in the stadium, uh, same thing with uh, basketball and hockey, you're sitting there going, well, they don't have time. The NFL has time. Uh, but, again, they haven't even opened up the facilities yet, and the Cowboys and all the other teams continue their uh, offseason season. Uh, streaming uh, lessons. Everson, could you imagine sitting at home and trying to learn the playbook, uh, talking as we are right now? Man, that would be so weird. If you recall, uh, back in the day, we had computer papers, right? We didn't have iPads and all of that. Uh, we had the computer paper, and we had the big book, and it, was, it looked like it was about two inches thick of all types of formations, so you would have heard a bunch of page turning in regards to what we were trying to learn that particular day, what kind of formations we had to deal with. Now the guys just have iPads. They can just swipe and, and do their thing. I think it's a lot more advantageous for them now. 
a matter of fact, I would, I would love to be a guy learning from home right now if that was the only choice that I had. So you had those big, wide sheets of perforated IBM paper? And it was in a big green cardboard uh, uh, cover, so to speak. So the papers, yes, they were all part of that binder, that big, ugly green binder that we had. And, and guys, that was what you call innovative at that time. Because the Cowboys were ahead of the game as far as everyone was concerned, our workouts, our schedules, everything was typed up on computer paper. So we're even talking, uh, what, beta? Am I talking the, the beta age? We're going back that far. It might go back farther than that. But you know what? When I did an interview with Cliff Harris, uh, he took me into his huge closet and he's got all those stacks of game plans in his closet still. And it was Why exactly would someone keep that mess? Exactly I'm sorry, what you were talking about. And he even opened them up and he had his notes on each page, what he was supposed to remember, right? Uh, and then the other thing, uh, I don't know how many of those uh, Peyton places you guys have watched uh, that aired during the season. Well, I just watched the one on the draft, and uh, and and uh, he was interviewing Gil Brandt, and Gil was actually had video of the big old computers they were using. They were these big wall things. I mean, they looked like a refrigerator, and and that's where they were charting uh, everything. Peyton, I mean, it was really interesting stuff. Uh, but and yeah. now you can just put all of that on a freaking smartphone. Yeah. Just think right? about that. It's amazing. <laughs> or an iPad like Bill, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Hey, so, Everson, if uh, you were a player now, let's say, let's go back and say you are 26 year old Everson Walls. You're playing today, okay, and you've got uh, what's going on right now. What would you be doing uh, to get ready for the season here, May 14th? Still 68 days away from the plane departing for California in the, cir- in the current circumstances we have. I, well, let me see. If I'm 26 years old and it's in today's time, I would probably have about 57 interceptions already <laughs> considering how much they throw the ball. Hold on. Let me, let me get there. Wait, I'm trying to get there. Okay, so I'm probably in my, my uh, third contract. Uh, probably riches, I don't know what. You know, probably got a big old house looking like Troy Aikman's house or something like that. And I would probably be doing what I did even back then. Uh, I hated working out on, at the campus. I just did. I never did like coming to the old or the new campus that was in Valley Ranch at the time. New being in air quotes. You didn't uh, like those outdoor weight rooms? Did not like any of that. As a matter of fact, I recall my first offseason with the Cowboys. I was, had all this pressure on me. I was a free agent. I had 12 workouts out of a possible 64 or some crap like that. <laughs> so I was never much, Bill, for going to the facility anyway. Uh, but what I did used to do, I thought was very innovative on, just for myself. What really helped me was uh, I would do shadow coverage. Everything was about shadow coverage. I didn't need a wide receiver out there. I start on the 10-yard line, and I would do backpedals and cover uh, imaginary receivers and imaginary routes up and down the field until I was just bone tired. So everything about me was trying to get myself into rhythm of playing man-to-man defense. Zone, of course, you don't have to study for zone, especially when you're a cornerback. But as a, as a, a top-notch cornerback at that time, uh, uh, shadow coverage was something that, was, that I had always implemented uh, into my workouts, and that would work perfectly for uh, coronavirus at this point. What do you think? So, so these, those full-team workouts, these, those OTAs that we normally have starting this time of the year, those are over- overrated, you think? Yeah, yeah, I think they're a little bit overrated, uh, especially when you're just doing walkthroughs and things of that nature. To me, the most fun and the most important part of a cornerback's practice, which you can never do over and over again, is to play one-on-one coverage. To me, that gets a cornerback or a defensive back ready for any type of challenge that he's going to have for his entire career. You can worry about lifting weights all you want. You can worry about running a 40-yard dash. You can worry about all of that. 
But when it comes down to it, you have to cover your man no matter how slow you are or how fast he is. And nothing's going to get you ready for playing one-on-one than a whole bunch of one-on-one reps. That's just the way I've always taught it and the way I always played it. Or shadow boxing, right? Shadow boxing. That's all it is, uh, Spags. That's uh, shadow coverage, shadow boxing. You know what? That that sounds like my one-man uh, backyard <laughs> wiffle ball games that I would simulate. <laughs> hey, I might patent that, man. You patent the wiffle ball. I'm going to patent my shadow coverage. We'll see who makes the Two most Two outs, money. bottom of the ninth, World <laughs> Series. I'm Mickey Mantle, and I'm at bat. <laughs> Well, Mickey alluded to it. The Cowboys had their virtual rookie minicamp last weekend. Uh, Everson, you're a guy who came into the league as a rookie and hit it off big right off the bat. What's the key for a rookie, especially in this environment where they aren't necessarily around the veterans, at least in a formal way uh, right now, what's the key for a rookie to be able to make an impact, like, for instance, a C.D. Lamb or any of these draft picks this year, to make an immediate impact when they get on this team? But one thing you have to do is impress them uh, in the drills. You know, whether it's uh, you're doing virtual drills, whether you're talking classroom work, uh, things of that nature. If you're trying to learn the defense, if you catch on quickly, the coaches will notice that. Uh, and that's from a mental standpoint. And once you're out there physically, uh, you've got to stand out in some way. Uh, I remember I stood out quickly. Uh, my first drill for the Dallas Cowboys in training camp in Thousand Oaks, California, uh, I got cursed out by Gene Scarlett. So, yeah, that's, that's one way to get on the coach's radar. Uh, Imagine that, getting cursed out by Gene Scarlett. <laughs> first drill, you understand? So I, wanted, I was going for it, guys. I was really, really going for it. And I think from there, uh, whatever happens, if you don't get cut first day, which I almost did, then you have to make sure that they see what kind of progress you're making. So what I did, I set the bar really low by getting cursed out first day, and then from there, I just improved and improved and improved. And then that's how you make your, that's how you make your difference in, in the coach's room, because you want to make sure that, they, that they're talking about you in one way or another, and hopefully it's for being, doing something good. You know, you, you mentioned uh, they were showing the films of C.D. Lamb. I don't know if you guys have caught this online, but I saw one of his high school punt returns. Oh, my goodness. This was a man amongst, amongst junior high boys, I guarantee you. He was weaving, spinning, cutting, turning. Unbelievable. Uh, and so, you know, we keep talking about him being a a. a, a, a uh, a wide receiver in the slot. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm putting them back there to return punts. Yeah, that's he, one thing. He re- Go ahead, Bill. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, he returned punts at Oklahoma, and, uh, you know, he doesn't really look like you, the, your prototype punt returner, but his run after catch ability as a, as a receiver is obviously is off the charts, and he flashed that a little bit uh, as a punt returner as well. One of the things as a punt returner at OU where he really showed it to me. I think it was a game against Baylor. Might have been TCU. He got lit up on a on a punt return where he should have been making a fair catch, but he didn't. And a guy just lit him up. He and he went into concussion protocol for about two plays, and he was back out on the field. He he really showed how tough he is uh, in that instance. One thing about CD that uh, I'm impressed with, and it's really confounding when you look at it. What you saw, uh, Spags, in high school, uh, Bill, what you were talking about in regards to his returns and how, how adept he was at big returns in college, he really doesn't look like he's going that fast, number one. He doesn't look like he can break the tackles that he breaks, number two. That, that, that to me, is amazing how many tackles that he slips. And I don't mean that he's shaking people down. I mean, he's making contact with them first, and he's breaking tackles. That's very impressive for a guy that really looks a bit slight in his build. And also what I like about him is, I always, I always think about from a track standpoint, you look at Michael Johnson, the, the famous uh, sprinter that the, that for the United States uh, from Skyline High School. And you see how he keeps his feet on the ground. He keeps his feet on the ground. There's no long strides. It doesn't take much energy. Everything looks effortless and his feet stay on the ground. 
You might see his feet hit the ground three times within five yards. That rarely happens with most runners that have that kind of explosiveness that he has. So I think his ability to keep his feet on the ground helps his balance as he runs the ball. And it also gives him the ability to make the moves going from side to side. You know, when you go laterally, Spags, you know, some people can't do that as well. And I think his ability to keep his feet on the ground really gives him the opportunity to make the moves and also to pick up speed when he needs it. Everyone was confounded about how Michael Johnson was just so fast. It was the amount of steps that he took that provided his power. That's the way C.D. Lamb is. Well, if you watch these highlights we're showing right now, his ability uh, to see the field, I think, is incredible. Like where, where the angles are, where to look at that, that's unbelievable. Uh, and, 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 and when he turns the corner, uh, it, it's almost like he's turning the, the, the corner like a defensive end coming, coming off that tackle trying to get to the quarterback because he explodes uh, when he turns. He doesn't lose any speed. Nope. Uh, and, and and that that's just that's God given right there. And it, 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 it's it, just it, amazing. It's his it's the balance that he maintains while all of this is going on. He has complete balance, and it seems everyone else is just confounded on how he does it. Hey, Bill, you, know, you uh, mentioned uh, you mentioned the the schedule. Uh, I was going to ask you to you guys like what what was the one thing that stood out to you uh, on the Cowboys schedule. What do you think, Everson? Oh, as far as I was concerned, uh, that <laughs> the last stretch, okay, the, the the entire Thanksgiving, what three games in in so many days, and then even though you get that that week off afterwards, I believe uh, it's still that that uh, divisional stretch. You've got the the Eagles, you've got the Giants at the end of your season. And, and then you throw in the San Francisco 49ers while you're at it. Right. I, think, I think that stretch of the schedule is going to be very telling for the Cowboys, as it is every season. I mean, let's just we're, we're used to it by now. Well, and, and the thing that stood out to me, and I was just looking at that this morning, uh, was the late bye week, uh, which is week 10 this year for the Cowboys, which is the, they get the bye week the week before that Sunday before they play back-to-back two games in five days Thanksgiving. It's uh, November 15th is their bye week. And then they come back and it gets to that schedule, that, the part of the schedule that you're talking about, where they play at Minnesota the Sunday before Thanksgiving on the 22nd. Then they come home to play Washington on Thanksgiving Day. A week later on Thursday night at Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. Then they're at Cincinnati. The fall, they, and that's where they get the mini-bye after that Thursday game. Uh, and then that's on the 13th at Cincinnati. Then they closed with San Francisco, Philly, and at the Giants. That's what stood out. And even before the bye week, they got Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. So the second half of the uh, the schedule, the second half of the season, I think is, a, is tough for this team. It is well, tough. Well, Bill, the, the thing that stood out to me was what you just said. And I cannot believe the NFL has done this for the fourth season in a row, making the Cowboys play – three games in 12 days around Thanksgiving. You know, we talk about player safety. How safe is that? You usually play, what, <laughs> three games in 21 days? Yeah. And now for, for the fourth year in a row, they got to play Sunday, Thursday, and then again on Thursday. And, yep. and, and the key thing here also is, is the fact that, that that Sunday game is almost always on the road. Now, at least this year... It's at Minnesota, and it's an afternoon game. So it's not a long flight back, right? You get back, uh, you know, 9, 10 o'clock at night, not too bad. Uh, you can get in some sort of practice uh, on, on Monday. Uh, and you're only going to have a, a, a kind of a walkthrough type thing. Tuesday you practice, and, you know, Wednesday it's time to get ready for the game. But if you look at last year when this happened again, and this was a 6-4 and four team. They had to go and play as far away as possible <laughs> at, at, at New England, right? And it's a late afternoon game. It's cold. It's raining. It's windy. They lose 13 to nine. By time the plane touched down, it was 1:30, quarter to two in the morning. So by time anybody gets home, gets to bed at the earliest, it's three, probably four. And then you've wasted Monday 
It's supposed to be your day off. It's not a day off. And you go out, and that second half of that Buffalo game, it just looked like they, they, they were tired. They had nothing left in the tank. And then, on top of that, the next Thursday, you got to go to Chicago uh, and, and play, if I remember correctly, a night game. And, and so it was a night it, game. It, it, it was almost like the NFL punishes them for hosting the Thanksgiving Day game. And again, what? this was a 6-4 and four team, and they wiped out the season those three 12 days because they lost all three games, and suddenly you go from 6-4 and four to 6-7. and seven. Now, I'm not saying these teams wouldn't have beat the Cowboys anyway, but still, why do they put them through that grueling gauntlet of games in a short period of time? Well, the, the reason they're doing it is because now all teams have to play a Thursday game, and in order for, and, and so they, they feel like what they're doing is they, they, for, to, for the Cowboys to play that Thursday that's not, and the Thanksgiving day is not counted in that group, to play the Thursday night game, they, they put it back-to-back -back every year with their other Thursday game. In the case this year, and I think it was this way last year too, and maybe, and maybe the previous years, Baltimore is also playing on Thanksgiving Day. They're playing at the Steelers on Thanksgiving night. So they're in the same boat with three games in 12 days themselves. Interesting. And so they're trying to, make, to even it out that way. But that's the, that's the reason they're doing it now is because it, four years ago is when they started playing on um, every Thursday, where every team is playing on Thursday nights during the season now. Well, you know, the other you know, the other of the one, season that I was worried about was the, the, the first part of the season. The first three games, to me, are uh, a little bit challenging. You know, you're looking at going on the road week one. Uh, that's going to be tough, of course, you know, playing against uh, the Rams. Uh, coming back, I worry about not necessarily these teams as much as I worry about the talent matchup. You know, you bring someone like the Falcons in after you've been on the road for the first game. Uh, you're playing at home, yes. But the Falcons are an extremely talented team, especially offensively. I think that challenge is going to be big. And, of course, then follow that up with a, a, a game in Seattle, uh, going against a well-coached, well-led team with Russell Wilson. Those first three games... I would not be surprised if they gave us some unexpected problems, guys. I, I really, I really am worried about those three games. Having said that, is we don't know will there be fans in the stands or not, and so uh, and it doesn't look like there will be, or there'll be a uh, less number of fans in the stands. Can't predict the future. I don't know what Dr. Fauci would say about that. <laughs> now, quit picking on Dr. Things, Fauci. Leave Dr. Wrong, man. One of, the, one of the things about playing at Seattle, you take the fans out of the stands, and that's a different place to play. Interesting, William. That's very interesting concept. No, uh, what is it? No, no 12th man, right? That's right. <laughs> All right, I think we need to take a break. We're going to take a break, and we're going to come back with much more here on Mix Shots here in just a moment. I'm Jay Novacek, former tight end for the Dallas Cowboys. Back in the day, I was the guy who always got the tough yards, and that's why I run with John Deere today. In fact, I have a John Deere 3025E tractor that can handle any yard work I need to do, even the tough yards way out back. So if you have one acre or a thousand, John Deere has the equipment that's just right for you. Visit a John Deere dealer today and run with us. We are the official tractor provider of your Dallas Cowboys. Essilor is a proud sponsor of the Dallas Cowboys, helping fans see more and do more with our best vision solutions. Our lens technologies reveal a world more beautiful than you can imagine. For a limited time, get the Essilor Next Gen offer. When you buy the latest generation of Transitions lenses with select Essilor lenses, you can choose a second pair of clear lenses for free with qualifying frame purchases. Restrictions apply. Find a participating eye care professional by visiting EssilorUSA.com. Essilor. See more. Do more. Want to use what the pros use? How about the official men's skincare brand of the Dallas Cowboys? Jack Black. 
Right now, you can get the Jack Black Starter, a curated collection of Cowboys locker room favorites for just 10 bucks with free shipping. The starter includes four Jack Black skincare favorites plus a full-sized intense therapy lip balm. Go to getjackblack.com slash cowboys and use the code word TEAMJB. That's getjackblack.com slash cowboys. The Jack Black Starter, 10 bucks, free shipping. Your new apartment's big. Such a great deal. Uh, it's okay. Just okay? What's not too... Right above the subway! Well, I bet you don't even notice it after the... That's my neighbor, Angus! A deal that's just okay is not okay. Get a great deal with America's Best Network. Come into an AT&T store to find out how to get one of our popular smartphones for $0 down. Based on GWS1 score, September 2019. Back, back, back. to Mick Shots. Shots continues on a Thursday, May 14th. We're here each and every Thursday throughout the offseason with the live show at 11 a.m. Central Time. And uh, Bill Jones with Mickey Spagnola and Everson Walls. And you check out Mick Shots on DallasCowboys.com. He was breaking down the schedule a little bit this week, Mickey. And uh, we were talking about it earlier uh, some of the things that stood out for us. How about the Cowboys' strength of schedule and what's mm-hmm. being reported about that strength of schedule? Yeah, and, and, and it's ranked 30th right now. It sounds like, whoa, piece of cake, right? Uh, the, the, and they do the strength of schedule off of uh, last year's opponent's record, uh, and the Cowboys' opponents ended up with a 459 uh, winning percentage. So, uh, it was the it was the lowest in the NFC, but you know when you start looking at it, and, and, and I understand how it goes. You know they they play the same games uh, with the exception of two as everybody else in the NFC East, including Philadelphia. Uh, they got to play the teams in the NFC West, the AFC North, uh, and then you play the team in the other NFC divisions that you're not playing. So that uh, finished in the same place you did. So Philadelphia has to play the first-place teams. So they get uh, New Orleans and Green Bay. The Cowboys get the second-place teams. Uh, and uh, they end up getting Minnesota and Atlanta. So there's, a, there's the difference in the two schedules. But the, the Eagles' schedule is ranked 25th. Uh, as a matter of fact, all four teams in the NFC East are ranked between 25 and 30. And the reason because of that is because Washington and the Giants were so bad and you yep. get to play them twice. They totaled <laughs> only seven wins between them. And so that factors into the equation. And that's why the Cowboys' uh, strength of schedule is, is so low because they're still playing some pretty tough teams. You know, and then also, uh, of course, with the NFC East, I mean, that's always going to bring the, the winning percentage down because all teams were pretty average when it comes to the when it came to the, the final outcome of the season last year. But when you look at the AFC North, uh, that division did not have their best year last year. Extremely competitive. Of course, Baltimore comes out with an amazing season, uh, but you, there's no way you can just you know put aside the strength of a Pittsburgh Steeler team, especially especially with Roethlisberger coming back, you know when you're going on the road playing these teams, some of them are just set up games that you could easily lose. Everyone brings out their best for the Dallas Cowboys. So when you look at this schedule, what is it? I think the combined record for the opponents is a, a 101 and, and a 106. Uh, taking the NFC East out of that. I think you, you look at the combined record of the opponents, and I think it really goes up a notch. So you're talking about your divisional rivals. That's what they are. They're rivals. As much as you might say, oh, we're going to go in and beat these guys, anytime you have a rival game, sometimes you can just throw, you can just throw the schedules out the window. So I think it's a little bit uh, misleading when you just start talking about the opponent's uh, strength of schedule. You know, Mickey, and one thing that I look at, and you, you wrote about it this week, is when, when the schedule comes out, I look at the quarterbacks that yes. the Cowboys are going to be facing. That's, that, that's just amazing. And I, I started putting a list together, and I'm going, okay, you got Jared Goff, Matt Ryan, Russell Wilson, Carson Wentz twice, by the way. Ben Roethlisberger is going to be back this year. Kirk Cousins, Lamar Jackson, 
Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, and, and then throw in, you know, you're going to get these fr- these top picks in the draft over the couple of years, yep. along with Kyler Murray, Kyler uh, Murray. Joe Burrow, Daniel Burrow's Jones. Yep. You know, they, you know, Baker. whatever Baker Mayfield is. So you got all these first round quarterbacks that you're going to play uh, also. So, uh, you know, don't go to sleep on that, having to take on those quarterbacks. And then probably a good thing that they loaded up on their cornerbacks uh, in this draft and in the offseason. Very misleading strength of schedule, guys. Very misleading, I think. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, we never know from year to year. I mean, what's the old saying in the NFL? The more you lose, the closer you are to winning. The right. more you win, the closer you are to losing. And, you know, is like when Mickey cites the difference in the Cowboys' schedule and the Eagles' schedule, well, the Saints and Packers both 13-3. and three. Who says Atlanta and Minnesota might duplicate that this year? You That's never right. know. Especially and when we, didn't, we, didn't even, we didn't even mention the, the San Francisco 49ers as far as that schedule is concerned. Uh, you're talking about a team that's, come on, they're just one, well, a couple of plays away from being Super Bowl champions. So uh, that kind of thing, kind of, it gives me pause, guys. And I'm, I'm really not comfortable with thinking, oh, well, thank God we didn't have a, a big season last year. That's why we have this weak strength of schedule. I am not, I'm not falling for that, not at all. Well, let's yeah. put it this way. When we look at the quarterbacks, right, tell me the worst quarterback they're going to play. Probably Daniel Jones. Yeah, and he's or, got or Jason Garrett Baker's to tutor him now. <laughs> or, or the way Baker Mayfield has played here, or Haskins right. at Washington. Yeah, I mean, and, 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 and we're talking 16 games, and you just named, you know, two guys. The, the rest of them, my goodness. And who knows what Daniel Jones is if he has a better supporting cast, if he has so an right. offensive line. You are so that Yeah, that's not a put-down that he's the worst one that I could think of because all of these guys, including Haskins, they've got the ability to get hot on you and at any time. They may come in and have a, a great Dak Prescott year. You know, I know Dak came in as his rookie year doing it, but some of these guys could come in and have that, that Dak, Dak Prescott year they could have in their second and third years, and that would be bad timing for the Cowboys. Well, the good news for the Cowboys, Mickey and Everson, is that the Cowboys will have a quarterback playing for them this season who will be the highest-paid quarterback in the history of the game. Or at least he certainly wants to be, right? <laughs> you know, Boy, Bill, Bill's optimism is just thick, isn't it? It's thick as honey, man, I tell you. Well, he'll be the highest paid one if he decides to sign a long-term contract. Uh, or that was at least, just my way of transitioning to Dak. I know, I know. And, and, and if you think about it, uh, you know, what if, what if he gets paid? I mean, right now the highest average is Russell Wilson, right? Uh, and if you look at uh, his, his just kind of total average, uh, if you count the, the four-year extension, it's $35 million a year. But it, he had another year to go before the extension started for an $8 million base salary. So if you throw that into the equation and divide by five, he's not even averaging $30 million a year. And if you look at the guaranteed money uh, of his $140 million deal, the, the extension, the guarantee is 107 So divide that out by four. And you get like $27 million a year. So is that what Dak wants? Because I'll tell you, the Cowboys are pretty close, I think, to, to matching that, that total he has. Now, it comes down to how much, how much signing bonus do you want. My guess is, and I guess it's easier to do it this way from a math standpoint, it's going to be $50 million. You know, he could put $50 million in the bank tomorrow if he signs a long-term deal. And then you average that over five years, uh, it's $10 million a year prorated on the signing bonus, and they could cut his salary cap total almost in half for this first year. So, uh, you know, to me, in this day and age, I mean, what if you don't play 17 games, you know, and you're still on the franchise tag? Do you take a pay cut? Because I don't think they're going to pay you for games that you don't get paid, uh, don't play if you're making one seventeenth a week. So to me, I would consider that, uh, and especially now with the economy the way it is, boy, 
I, I'd hate to be going to June 1st and, <laughs> and I don't have a payday coming. Well, listen, Spags, here's, here's what I see in you. I see you as the Dr. Fauci <laughs> of this entire situation. Everyone's asking questions to Dr. Fauci about what are the real facts, about what the heck is going on. Okay, give me the real facts on why this contract has not been signed. Has it, is it because he won't accept it? Is it because it's not enough money? Is it because the Cowboys are dragging their feet? Come on, Dr. Spags, tell me what's going on. I think they've made him a an offer. Uh, see, here's the thing we don't know, Everson. We haven't heard from their side what they're asking for. You know, they could be asking for $45 million a year. We don't know that, right? And I'm exaggerating uh, right now. But what, what, what do they want? Uh, and again, when we're talking about that big of a signing bonus, dividing it by five and dividing by four as you prorate the signing bonus is significant. Uh, and, and then here's another thing that uh, it kind of occurred to me yesterday, and I, I was kind of reading a whole bunch of stuff. It's like, what if, and, and here we go with me being Dr. Fauci, right? What, what, what if they're playing these games in front of an empty stadium the first, say, four weeks, and you're not bringing in revenue from ticket sales? Well, then your total revenue for the season's going to go down. So instead of the salary cap going up next year to absorb these contracts that are structured for the salary to go up, what if it goes down? What if it instead of 210 million in 2021, it goes down to 170 million? All of a sudden, the way you structured contracts, there could be a lot of guys out there, uh, you know, having to take either a pay cut or getting released because their salaries, those base salaries, went up in a commensurate uh, proportion to the salary cap going up, assuming. Well, what if it goes down? And so there's another factor the Cowboys have to, I think, at least at this point, factor into how the base salaries are structured uh, going forward. So there's a lot of little nuances that, you know, most people are just, well, just pay them. Get it done. You know, I had a tweet today. It's like, you know, who else has to franchise their quarterback? Well, unfortunately, it was an easy answer because the Redskins <laughs> did it twice. Right? Yes, they did. I was going to answer that with Spags. Thank you, Dr. Spags. I yeah, appreciate so, it. But, but again, you don't know what the other side's asking for. And until you know that, it's hard to say, well, just pay them. Uh, it's not that easy. You know, it's interesting how this uh, pandemic plays into the negotiations right now. Uh, because as we go forward, it, obviously, it's a critical stretch uh, here over the next few weeks as far as baseball is concerned, getting their season started as we go forward. It'll be the same for football. And that franchise tag deadline in mid-July uh, is, of course, the critical time as far as Dak's contract is concerned. Where are we then? And uh, from both sides, from Dak's side and from the Cowboys' perspective, uh, does it behoove them to wait uh, to then? Or uh, and. and and factoring in everything that Dr. Fauci just said here <laughs> on mix shots, um, you know, how does that all affect things? It's very interesting how this is going to play out over the course of the next six weeks. We're going to rename this show Dr. Mick. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Mix shots. <laughs> now, as far as I'm concerned, by 2021, the beginning of 2021 season, I think we will all be uh, settling to a new norm. Uh, I, I can't say if the NFL will start making drastic decisions based on one season's uh, unusual loss, uh, meaning having to go through this whole COVID thing uh, in an unusual way. Uh, I, I think by 2021, things will be back to normal. You will have some players that are on the fringes, uh, whether they're uh, younger players, who are uh, straddling the fence right now and not really doing that well, or maybe a veteran uh, who was really looking to make a move last year, meaning 2020, if I'm thinking about 2021. But 2020 made a good move, a big move last year, or didn't make a big enough move because of this whole thing. Now he's going to be on the chopping blocks before 2021 season. So I don't see it affecting the superstars as much, Spags, as it will affect 
more of the uh, the lesser known players and the older players uh, in the NFL. Yeah, and, and my point is though that the salary cap is going to be factored on what the revenues from this season. So you know, what if some of these games? I mean, you don't play them, and, and I'm sure the TV networks will want a refund, right? They're not going to pay that top dollar, and they got no games. Uh, the the, the revenue is going to go down. Uh, and if the revenue goes down, then the salary cap goes down. And the revenue has never gone down since they started this salary cap, as far as I know. Uh, so it's always gone up. I think I read somewhere where it goes up 6%. So this year it's like one, uh, 198, I believe, the cap for each team. And next year the projection was 229, uh, 210, something like that. Uh, so, yeah, but what if it goes down? Uh, then you don't have as much money to spread out, and you've got these base salaries that are already figured in. Because like this year, they, you know, if they sign Dak to a long-term deal, they don't have to give him a base, a big base salary because he's going to get that signing bonus. So but, he'll make but, his money. But next what, year, the, the base salary is going to go up. And, and forget about the, the forest. I'm just talking about the tree right here, okay? Not the... Not how it impacts the salary cap going forward or anything, but from Dak's standpoint right now, does he want to go ahead and get the guaranteed money now, meaning the signing bonus money right now, making sure he's getting money this year? Or if he plays on the franchise tag, we don't even know whether there's going to be a season or not. He doesn't even know if he's going to make any money this year. Yeah, no, exactly. And you know, and, and if you just use, and, and I don't know if they're using the Russell Wilson as the, the kind of model, but... Of his 140 million, I think I said this, 107 of it was had guarantees in it. So, gosh, if somebody was, I mean, I, I understand it's a different story, but getting guaranteed 107 million today, regardless of what takes place, oh my. Well, you know, the Cowboys are also looking at it the same way. I mean, if I'm a player, then of course I want to take advantage of the upfront money. But if I'm a, if I'm a team then I know that you want to take advantage of the upfront money, so then I'm going to be coming from another standpoint. So it's still going to be a matter of how much they're going to favor their quarterback versus how much the, the, the season is going to be affected by Corona. Yep, and, and from the team standpoint, maybe they want to wait and see where we are as far as uh, the coronavirus on July 15th when that franchise de- tag deadline hits, and they wait until then to decide you know, to pull the trigger on it themselves. All right, that's going to be another fly in the ointment, Bill. Another yep. fly in the ointment. Yep, that's right. All right, more with Dr. Fauci here on Mix Shots in just a moment. <laughs> Since 1865, Stetson hats are American-made with pride right here in Texas. And Stetson is proud to be on the field with America's team. Want to show your Texas and team pride, too? You can. By purchasing your own Stetson, you can look just like how the flag guys do on field at every home game. Stetson Hats, the official crown of all self-respecting Cowboys and your favorite football team. Get yours today in the Stadium Pro Shop or at Stetson.com. Your new apartment's big. Such a great deal. Uh, it's okay. Just okay? What's not too... Right above the subway! Well, I bet you don't even notice it after the... That's my neighbor, Angus. A deal that's just okay is not okay. Get a great deal with America's Best Network. Come into an AT&T store to find out how to get one of our popular smartphones for $0 down. Based on GWS1 score September 2019. Essilor is a proud sponsor of the Dallas Cowboys. Helping fans see more and do more with our best vision solutions. Our lens technologies reveal a world more beautiful than you can imagine. For a limited time, get the Essilor Next Gen offer. When you buy the latest generation of Transitions lenses with select Essilor lenses, you can choose a second pair of clear lenses for free with qualifying frame purchases. Restrictions apply. Find a participating eye care professional by visiting EssilorUSA.com. Essilor. See more. Do more. So, you're shopping, and that's when you see it. Aisle 23. Dr. Pepper stack from top to bottom as far as the eye can see. The phrase too good to be true comes to mind, yet there it is. A rich, delicious Dr. Pepper paradise. Wait, did, did that can of Dr. Pepper just open itself for you? They all are. As if to say, so nice to treat you. And even though it feels weird to talk to a can, you pick one up and say, it's so nice to be treated. Dr. Pepper, so nice to treat you. 
Back, back to mixed shots. new picks in town. Well, if you go to Jack Black, there's a new pick in town, and it's called Pick 6 Free Deluxes. If you purchase $75, you get to pick six free of their deluxe products, and they've got a dozen of those products that you can choose from, all the way from, now get this one, Everson, New Nighttime Backup Retinol Alternative. It's going to keep your face looking a lot younger. Also, the Pure Clean Daily Facial Cleanser. All over wash and everybody's favorite, Beard Lube Conditioning Shave. Pick six of those, and you got to do it by next Tuesday by midnight on GetJackBlack.com. Ever so I'm glad Mickey Mickey pointed you out as needing to have a younger face. <laughs> it sounded like when he said retinol, I thought he was talking about another part of the body. I wasn't <laughs> sure what the commercial was. <laughs> good, good I pronounced it properly, right? Yes, thank God you did. <laughs> well, the, uh, as we talked about earlier in the show, the Cowboys had their rookie, uh, virtual rookie minicamp uh, last weekend. Mickey, on mixed shots this week, he wrote about a rookie minicamp Back in 2003, some 17 years ago, and there was a youngster in that camp that Mickey thought uh, was fairly impressive. Mickey, would you like to relate that story to us? Yeah, I was, uh, I was doing some research on after that 2003 draft, uh, and the Cowboys had that, that rookie mini camp, and I, I ran across just a, a short, I guess, I don't know if we were calling them mix shots back then, but I, I ran across a little note I had uh, on on Jason Witten, and uh, I thought it was interesting. Uh, they had just completed their you know non pad uh, practice. Uh, you're going up against a bunch of guys that probably didn't even get drafted or didn't play much the the year before. Uh, and so here was my synopsis of what I thought of Jason Witten back then. It, now it's only a it, now it's only a non pad workout and really against the majority of guys who weren't even drafted or haven't played much, if any, in the NFL. But tight end Jason Witten sure showed an ability this weekend to get downfield, and he sure has some soft hands. And I'm thinking, I might have missed a calling. I I got this scouting (laughs) stuff down. So you, what, that was Parcells? Was that Parcells as the head coach then? That was, right. that yep. was Parcells' first year. Wow. And I, you, you know what else happened that, that week? I believe it was that minicamp week. Uh, Witten caught a pass over the middle and kind of kind of a slant, uh, kind of a down and in, and he kind of ran away from everybody. And, and very sarcastically, uh, Parcells barked, and loud enough for everybody to hear it, by the way. He goes, yeah, there's my pass-catching tight end. Because <laughs> he saw visions of Bavaro in Jason Witten that he could be a complete tight end, and, and boy, he stayed on him to turn him into one, too. And that's, that's, that's that was a twenty-year-old Jason Witten back in. He just turned. He would have turned twenty-one May sixth that year. Right. He, yeah. Yeah, so, I think that was perfect timing for Jason Witten. When you have a coach that's accustomed to a Mark Bavaro and, and accustomed to an offense that uh, runs the ball and needs that not only pass-catching tight end, but you have to have that blocking tight end. Bavaro was the ultimate. And to me, I think really the first tight end for the New York Giants that really carried that team in regards to every position, every, every part of the game, Bavaro was a threat. You didn't have that many tight ends that could do that kind of thing or at least weren't utilized as well in that day and time. And now here, you come, here comes Jason Witten at that particular time having, having Parcells as his head coach having that emphasis on getting him the ball and trusting his blocking, I think that could have just really led to him being noticed and being utilized in the perfect way. All right, let me throw it out to both of you. All right, whether it's a rookie minicamp or just the first time you saw a 
player come into the league at a, at a practice or the first time you saw him, what was the who was the number one guy that you said, "Wow, look at this guy"? Uh, when you go back over time in an NFL rookie minicamp or first first time you saw him in practice, that's easy. Anybody for come me. to mind? Tony oh, Dorsett. Tony Dorsett. <laughs> Tony Dorsett. Of course, you came in as a Heisman Trophy year, winner. The first time you saw him, yeah. The first when I remember the, uh, seeing it on video. I, I, we were watching the news at that time. I was very okay. young, and I remember he. I don't. I don't think I saw his feet hit the ground during the entire practice. That's when I knew he was going to be good. I think I would have to go with Troy Aikman. When I saw him throw the football, how tight the spiral was, how accurate he was. Uh, and the velocity on the ball, uh, it was one of those oh my movement uh, moments. You know, you can see that stuff on TV, uh, but it just doesn't translate to when you're standing kind of almost on the sideline watching one of those mini camps. And, and when he was throwing the ball, it was like, this is a thing of beauty. You know, you don't even have to mess with this guy's mechanics. Uh, so I think that's probably the one that, that uh, at least first stuck out to me over all these years. You know, one of them for me was, uh, and it's, I think it would have been training camp more so than a rookie mini camp, uh, was Leon Lett. And, and it was more of a surprise than I was like, I was like, I w- went searching my roster going, who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> Remember how fast off, well, you know, how fast off the snap he was? Yes. And it wasn't just, it wasn't just his quickness uh, bill it was the size that went along with that right. quickness he right. was extremely polished for someone that came from such a small school Important I don't know who, I don't know who taught him when he was in college but when he came to the Cowboys I wouldn't call him a finished product but he was way he was well ahead of being a rookie in regards to his talents you know, another guy that made an impression on me, and it wasn't so much just his uh, talent, uh, was his, uh, gosh, his mental capacity to know what was going on. Uh, Patrick Creighton, uh, I believe seventh-round draft choice, yep. and uh, in his first practice uh, or, or second practice, uh, he, he uh, damaged his plantar fasciitis. And, and we know how painful that is. It's, it's like somebody sticking nails uh, in, in the bottom of your foot. And you could see he was limping, but he wouldn't take himself out. He just kept pushing through the drills, kept pushing through the drills. And, and I remember going up to him after the practice was over, and I said, did you hurt your ankle? And he goes, nah, it's bottom of my foot. It's really painful. And I kind of knew what he was, you know, it, it had to be his plantar fascia. And uh, I said, well, do you, are, are you going to hurt it worse? And he goes, hey, I'm a seventh-round draft pick. I'm from, what was it, Bill? South- Northwestern Oklahoma State. Yeah, Northwestern wow. Oklahoma State. double yeah. directional wow. and state, wow. and, and probably NAIA at that time. I don't remember. And, and, and he, Oklahoma. He goes, I've got Bill Parcells looking at me. He goes, I can't take myself out. i got to push through this. And I said, you know what? This kid's got something. He just might make it. Yep, he had toughness and he had smarts, both. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and, and that's a great example of a guy uh, who came out of nowhere and immediately, and had he not had the plantar fasciitis early on in his rookie season, you know, I think it was halfway through, he was, he was making a contribution by midseason his rookie year as a seventh-round draft pick. And he was so versatile. This is a guy that had played quarterback, he playing wide receiver, uh, they would, you know, he was a do everything guy up there. Uh, you know, hand him the ball, return kicks, uh, and and you know, it proved out that he ended up being a uh, a very good, sound football player for a seventh round pick. He really did. He really did, uh, Spad. I got to say, young, one more guy, one more, player. one more guy that I that I uh, was impressed with, and it wasn't just his ability on the field. He was already doing well, but. Michael Irvin, when he came in, I don't think, as much as he talks trash and as much as he's so, you know, flamboyant in almost everything he does, Michael Irvin is one of the hardest workers I've ever seen. I, I have seen this guy just 
just torture himself, especially uh, coming into his second year after he had torn his uh, uh, ACL uh, most of the season, his rookie year. Uh, I, I would come into the locker room and see him in the, in, the, uh, in the hot tub, and he was so sad from not being able to play. You could just see it. I would come and talk to him because he looked depressed. So you could just see his love for the game was there. Whatever he does nowadays, and I know it's all flamboyant, it's a little bit over the top, that is real coming from Michael Irvin. Uh, when Jimmy Johnson came, and that was his second year, when Jimmy Johnson came in, in uh, 1989, he even stepped it up a notch in regards to his, uh, his, his emotions and, and his dedication to being better. And uh, initially, I must admit, I thought it was uh, a little bit over the top myself. But as I looked at him progress throughout his entire career, all of that was real. And it was very impressive to me. Uh, his, his dedication, forget to himself, his dedication to the team was always prevalent. And I, I really enjoyed that about him. You know, I remember Jimmy when he got there and he kind of looked at his wide receiver core and he started shaking his head and we were starting to talk about the wide receivers and he goes, man, he goes, I had more speed at Miami than I do on this professional team. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, when you look at it, Michael Irvin wasn't that fast. And, and, and I think he, he was, was just looting Michael in that. Yeah, because Michael yeah. wasn't a burner, right? No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. <laughs> you know, along those lines, I remember, you know, back in those days, early 90s, uh, the, the rules for the media at Valley Ranch were – there were no rules, basically. <laughs> I mean, in the off-season, I was working at Channel 5 during those days. And in the off-season, if it was a slow sports day, we just went and we hung out at the locker room at Valley Ranch. And we just waited for guys to come off the practice field. There wasn't any formalized workouts. These are just individual workouts, guys getting their off-season workouts in. And invariably, you'd see Michael Irvin and Troy Aikman coming off that field uh, in – March, April, whenever it was, and we'd interview them or whatever. But I got to see firsthand the work ethic they're putting, uh, they would put in on their own. It wasn't anything that the team was doing at that time. And I was thinking throughout this coronavirus thing, the guys that the, the, and the teams that are going to get ahead are the ones that are putting in the work right now. It's really, it, it's, it's really. Uh, the dedication that and the sacrifice that those guys are, are putting in right now are going to play a big role going forward because they don't have any organized. So, so uh, Bill, Bill, did, did you remember uh, Michael Irvin with the weight vest? Yeah. With the weight yeah. vest on, doing the, uh, the standing broad jump for like 50 yards uh, on, on, the, on the turf. You know, those, those kind of things, that, they just really, that really stood out in my mind because... Uh, at that time, he was completely healthy, but he was not going to get hurt again. And you could tell he was working towards that. Very So impressive. I've got this other image of Michael Irvin after he uh, tore his ACL, uh, and he was uh, starting his rehab that off season. And uh, I was living in Carrollton at that time. Michael lived in Carrollton. And I'm driving down Trinity Mills. I, I can see this clear as day, and, and there was kind of a median. And, it, and I believe it was grassy, right? And I see this big guy on the tallest bicycle I've ever seen in my life, right? And he's riding right down the middle of the road. And it's Michael Irvin. He's riding to the ranch. And it, it was probably, I don't know, 10 miles or so, something like that. But that was a part of his rehab. And it was just a spectacle. You've never seen anybody bigger on a bicycle in my entire life. <laughs> Unfortunately, that was before cell phones, and so you couldn't take your cell phone out and take a <laughs> right. picture of it. Hey, Bill, I'll tell you what. Another guy that made an impression on me the first time I saw him, because I had no idea who he was, was Larry Allen. And, and, and he shows up, and, it, it, and I see this big, massive, wide guy running the way he was running, and I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, where did they find this guy? <laughs> and and it, it and I'll guarantee you those defensive linemen were probably sitting there going, oh no, I don't want any part of this. <laughs> there was a lot of in the in the NFL those years he was playing. There was a lot of Larry Allen flu going around. 
You know, you gotta feel bad. You have to feel good about the fact, especially coming from a small school like myself. You know, the Cowboys have always been extremely good at going to find those diamonds in the rough. You're talking about the Patrick Craigs, myself. You're talking about Larry Allen. You know, these weren't guys that were on everyone's uh, radar. These guys had to be found. And uh, the Cowboys were always pretty good at finding them. So that, that, could, that tradition continues to this day. Hey, I got an idea for next week's show. Okay, this week we showed, well, we talked about the guys that were, were oh, my God, where'd they get this guy in a good way? I, next week I want to hear your, oh, my God, where'd they find this guy in a bad way? How did they draft this guy? I could get, I could get one of those guys right out of the way right now. I got one. I have one too, Bill. I, got, I have one also. <laughs> You can do it now if you want. No, I'm, wait, I'm saving I'll mine. Give, I'll give you mine, and this will te- this will tease for next week. Okay. Um, we may have the same guy. Nineteen eighty-six. It better not be the same guy. It was Kevin Brooks. Oh come on, come on, Spags. Come on, man. You just took it away, no, man. That was, it. <laughs> that was it. See, I told you we should have waited till next week. Now I got to go. Now we got to come up with somebody else because all I know is he was a defensive lineman. I I believe it was Michigan State. No, uh, University of Michigan. Michigan, okay. When they drafted him, back then you had to call the guy and tell him, okay, you know, we drafted you. Uh, There was no live TV, and they couldn't get a hold of him. They couldn't get a hold of him. And, and they found out he wasn't home. He was out roller skating. And I'm going, I don't want my defensive lineman roller skating. Okay. He was on skates his whole career, Spags. There you go. And that's a good way to end this one. All right, we, you need to uh, come up. Both of you need to come All up right. with somebody else. Next week, and I'll have my guy, too. All right, that does it for mixed shots, and we'll talk at you again next week. This has been a production of DallasCowboys.com and the Dallas Cowboys Football Club. How about this, Cowboys? Yeah!